So just in case you don't know, I'm Father Ganella. Happy to be with you guys tonight to talk about the Mass, talk about the Eucharist. Can I just get a quick show of hands? Um, if you're a parent of a child receiving First Communion for the first time, this is your first child receiving First Communion. Awesome. Well, congratulations to everybody here, but especially to you um, having your first child receive First Communion. That's an awesome thing. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about this evening and um, yeah, really dive into the Mass and what the Eucharist is and what we believe about it and our responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. But let's first start with a prayer. And for our prayer, I think I'm just going to read some scripture verses to you. It's actually kind of a long passage, so hang in there, but it comes from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, It's known as the Bread of Life Discourse. Jesus is talking about the Bread of Life, um, and this is the basis, actually, for a lot of what we believe as Catholics about the Eucharist. So we'll go ahead and start in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first those who, those who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he said, 
This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the gift of this evening and for the opportunity to be together. We ask that you please open our hearts and our minds now to receive your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the fire of your love, with understanding of your truth and your gospel, so that we may grow uh, ever more closely in our relationship with you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I know it was a long gospel passage, but it's really important, okay? And we're going to get back to it here in a little bit. But first, what I want to start off with is just pointing out some unique things about being Catholic, specifically about Catholic churches. In other words, if you go into basically any Catholic church around the world, you're going to find a similar structure. You're going to find some pews or some seats at least. You're going to find a sanctuary, which is raised up a few steps. You're going to find the pulpit. You're going to find the altar in the middle somewhere. You're going to find the tabernacle, that golden box up there, hopefully in the middle. You're also going to find a big crucifix, hopefully somewhere in the sanctuary that sticks out to remind us what we're here doing. And brothers and sisters, all of these things have one thing in common, or, another, or I should say they have one end that they're focused on. They're all ordered towards one thing. And the one thing is the celebration of the Mass. And one more unique thing about Catholics that I'll point out is that we, as Catholics, call our ministers priests. Not many other Christian denominations will do that, maybe Anglicans, I think. But mostly... Other Christians will call their ministers reverend or pastor or brother or something like that. Catholics are unique, though. We call our ministers priests, and this is for a specific reason. Priests do something specific. That word priest has a specific designation. And what the word priest means is one who offers a sacrifice. So if we go back to the Old Testament, the priests were the men who were designated, set apart from the rest of the group, to offer the sacrifices on behalf of everybody else. They would literally take the animals, you know, the sheep or the goats or the cows or whatever they had, they would kill the animal and offer that as the sacrifice to the Father. They would actually slaughter the animal on the altar and then offer that in atonement for their sins, but most importantly, as their worship to God. They would take something that was valuable to them and offer it as worship to God the Father. So those are, those are basically the two um, points of offering a sacrifice. First of all is to offer worship to God, and then second of all, to take away our sins. And now we, as Catholics, still call our ministers priests because the priests are still offering a sacrifice when we come to Mass. Now, obviously, we're not killing goats and cows and things up, up, uh, up there on the altar, 
I don't think many people would want to come to Mass if we were doing that, probably. Yet, it truly is a sacrifice that's taking place when we come to Mass. And it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's the same sacrifice that Jesus Christ offers when he is on the cross. That's why we have a big crucifix, to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus has already made. When Jesus is on the cross, he is both priest and victim. He is the one doing the offering of himself, and he is the offering being made, he himself. He's both offering and being offered. And now it's not as if when we come to Mass, we're re-killing Jesus or something like that. We're not re-sacrificing him. But we are participating in the one sacrifice. We should truly think of ourselves as being at the foot of the cross every time we come to Mass. In other words, that sacrifice that happened once in, in time, in history, is really made present to us on the altar when we come to Mass. Those salvific effects of Jesus Christ, in which he offers worship to God, the Father, and also takes away our sins, that sacrifice, those effects are made present to us when we come to Mass. And it's truly present in the Eucharist. And that's what we're here to talk about, right? We are here to talk about First Communion. We're here to talk about the Eucharist. And so now that's what I want to focus on. And we're going to get back here to the scripture reading that I started with. Jesus has some pretty strong words here in the scriptures. If you listen closely, Jesus doesn't say that I want you to merely remember me, or I want you to have symbols by which you will think of me, or you will have mere signs uh, that you will remember me by. Jesus doesn't say those things. Jesus actually says something much stronger. And I'll read this little piece to you here again. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. It's not like Jesus just said it one time and was like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said it that way. Uh, maybe people are going to misunderstand me. No, Jesus says it over and over and over again. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's not saying, I want you to drink a symbol of my, my blood or eat a symbol of my flesh. No, he says the real deal. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And how do we know that his disciples understood that? How do we know that, we, that his disciples understood him to mean that? Well, it's because it says that many of them, when they heard him speaking of, uh, about himself this way, said, this is a hard teaching. What's this guy talking about? We're out of here. It says many of them stopped following him that day. And now, again, notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, wait, guys, wait, you misunderstood. I didn't actually mean my flesh and blood. I was just kind of making a point. No, they understood him to mean his true flesh and his true blood, and he let them walk away. 
that's how we know that they understood him to be speaking literally. And he even goes up to his 12 apostles and says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter, with that beautiful profession of faith in Jesus, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So in other words, Peter is saying, well, Lord, I I don't think I really know what you're talking about. I don't think I really fully understand what you mean here. But hey, I believe in you. I have faith in you. And even though I don't understand this fully, I'm going to continue to follow you because you have the words of eternal life. And now, brothers and sisters, when it comes to our doctrine on the Eucharist, some of it's hard to understand. Some of it's confusing. Some of it we might want to say, gosh, how is that possible? How am I supposed to believe that? And if you're there, all right, recognize that you're there. But then as a Catholic, make that same profession of faith that Peter makes in the Scriptures. Say, Lord, where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm going to continue to follow you even if I don't fully understand what's going on. Okay, so now let's talk about the church's doctrine of the Eucharist. So first, can I just get a show of hands real quick? When we talk about the Eucharist, we sometimes use this word transubstantiation. Anybody ever heard that word before? A few of you. Okay, great. So it's good that we're here. Let's talk about this. So what happens at Mass? When we're at Mass, during like the midway point, basically, we have a couple people bring up bread and wine from the back of the church. They bring it up to the front. The priest takes it and prepares it on the altar. Simple bread and wine at that point. Basically, worthless elements. Okay? And so here's my wine joke real quick. What did the grape say when he got stepped on? Nothing. He just let out a little wine. All right. I know it's not great. It's a Monday night, but hey, it'll it'll do. So anyway, we start Mass with simple bread and wine, these simple elements. We bring them forth into the sanctuary to the priest, where the priest prepares them on the altar. Then the priest says... um, Lots of words of thanksgiving to God. Lots of of, words of blessing over the bread and wine. And then it comes to the part of Mass where we kneel down. Okay, y'all with me? Y'all know where we are in the Mass? We kneel down for the first time. Um, And then here at St. Pat's, at least, maybe not in every church you've ever been to, but here at St. Pat's, a few, uh, like a minute into the Eucharistic prayer, when you start kneeling down, the server will ring the bell once. Okay, it's kind of like the warning bell. That's the part of the Mass where the priest is calling down the Holy Spirit upon the bread and the wine. And he's saying, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit so that in a minute here, these elements of bread and wine can transform into the body and blood of Christ. And so that's what happens at the first ring. And then a minute or two later, we have the elevations where the server does the triple ring. You know, the priest will hold up the host and the priest will hold up the chalice. We get three rings each. That's the moment of the consecration. 
That's the moment where the bread and wine are no longer bread and wine. That's the moment where those elements turn into God himself. And that's what we mean by transubstantiation. Even though they look like bread and wine still, even though they taste and feel and smell like bread and wine and all of that, even though they appear to our senses in every way to still be those normal elements, the substance of them has changed. Transubstantiation. The substance is changed. No longer bread and wine, but God himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity present to us under the appearances of bread and wine. And think of it this way. If we're at that moment in Mass when we're all kneeling down and the server rings the bell three times and the priest is holding up the host and the chalice, that's an act of adoration, brothers and sisters. We are adoring what is in the hands of the priests. We're worshiping what's in the hands of the priests at that moment. It better not just be bread and wine. It better be God himself that we are worshiping in that moment. And it truly is. We know that by faith. We know that by the words of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And so that's why the Eucharist is important. Because it's not merely a symbol. It's not merely meant to remind us of Jesus. It is Jesus. Body, blood, soul, and divinity made present to us. That's why Mass is important. That's why we come to Mass, to experience God himself. That's why your child's First Communion is a huge deal. It's not just kind of a nice thing. No, this is a huge moment when your child will be able to receive God living within them in the Eucharist for the first time. Okay. Okay. So now, let's move on a little bit to what the expectations are for you as parents um, now that your child is receiving their First Communion. As Catholics, we are expected to be at Mass every single week and every Holy Day of Obligation. Um, And this is a big deal. It's not okay to miss Mass for a trivial reason. There are a couple reasons why it's okay to miss Mass. Um, maybe like illness, like extreme illness or, or a big injury or something like that. Maybe your work schedule possibly could be a, a legitimate reason to miss Mass. But not much outside of that. Things that wouldn't be good reasons are things like um, sports or other activities. Things like being tired on Sunday morning and wanting to sleep in. Things like being on vacation Those aren't good enough reasons to miss Mass because of what's happening here. And so I heard a talk by Scott Hahn one time where he was talking about the Eucharist and he was kind of, uh, I guess, talking about why people don't go to Mass. And he said, imagine this scenario. Imagine if one Sunday, instead of giving people the Eucharist, we announced that at Mass that Sunday, we would be handing out checks for $1 million. What would happen Everybody who heard about it would be there. The lines would be stretched as far as you could see, you know. Everybody who knew that that was happening would be present to receive that great gift, right? And yet, when we're here at Mass, 
every Sunday, every weekday actually, we have Mass. Every time Mass is being celebrated, we receive a treasure infinitely greater than any amount of money that we could ever receive. Because God himself is present to us in the sacrament. Why aren't we lining up to receive that treasure? Why aren't we lining up to receive that gift? That's a question we should think about and pray about and ponder. And remember that when I was talking about sacrifice earlier, there are two um, aspects of sacrifice, mainly. Yes, we are receiving the effects of the forgiveness of our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but we're doing something more than that. We're also offering perfect worship to God the Father because it's the worship of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now notice I didn't say it's good worship or great worship or even the best worship. It's perfect worship because it's God the Son worshiping God the Father. Jesus Christ can't do anything imperfectly. He is offering perfect worship. And when we come to Mass, we are participating in that worship. We have the privilege of being here to unite our worship to the worship of Jesus Christ and give that to God the Father in a perfect way. Now, can we worship God on our own outside of Mass? Yeah, of course. We can read the Scriptures. We can pray in our houses. We can, I don't know, take walks in the woods and, and experience the presence of God that way. Great. Is it as good as coming to Mass? Absolutely not. Because it's not perfect worship. What we're doing here is perfect, and we owe that worship to God the Father. That's another reason why we need to be here every week. It's because we owe this worship to God. As his creatures, as his sons and daughters, we owe this worship to him. Um, And I know this is a little bit of a difficult thing to understand, especially with the, I think, modern mindset about church. Church, I think, becomes a lot of of the time um, maybe a... I don't know how to say it. Maybe just a personal experience. Or in other words, the complaint I think a lot of people have about going to church is that, uh, I don't want to go. I don't really get anything out of it. You know, I sit there, um, I'm bored the whole time, and then I leave, and it, it didn't feel like I did anything. I don't get anything out of going to Mass. That's the wrong mindset. We don't come to Mass to receive something primarily, although we do receive the Eucharist, the greatest gift that there is. We come to Mass primarily to do something. Going to Mass isn't like going to the movies or going to a ball game or something like that, where you just sit there, you watch something happening, and then you're entertained by it. That's not what Mass is. Even though it kind of seems that way, you know, when you're sitting out here in the pews, it seems like you're kind of just watching something happening, and hopefully you're, I don't know, entertained by it, and then if you're not, you're disappointed, and you go home unhappy. No, brothers and sisters, when we come to Mass, we come to do something. We come to offer our worship to God the Father. Will you come to unite your prayers to the prayers of the priest? Remember, the priest is offering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You in the pews should be really participating with the priest in offering those prayers to God the Father. That's what makes it worthwhile. Even if you don't feel great when you're here, even if the priest gives like a terrible homily, 
It doesn't matter. We're still here doing something, offering that perfect worship to God the Father. That's why it's important to get to Mass. Okay, and so again, I want to stress the importance of being here every weekend. Now that your kids are able to receive Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, they have the right to be here. To miss Mass for something trivial, again, is a travesty. It's a sinful thing. It should never happen. And so I want to encourage you in your efforts to make that happen. And so I'll end with this note um, just to remind you that as Catholic parents, your vocation, your goal in life is to get yourself, your spouse, and your kids to heaven. That's it. That's the ultimate goal. That's what everything in your life should revolve around, is getting yourself, your spouse, and your kids to heaven. If something in your life is keeping you from doing that, cut it loose. And the single best way you can work on that, the single most effective thing that you can do to make that salvation for your family happen, is come to Mass every weekend. I know it sounds tough, maybe, but it's possible. Um, I grew up playing sports. You know, I played soccer. We did the whole travel thing. We did the whole thing on uh, weekends where you go somewhere else and, and play a tournament or whatever. It's fun things, right? Yet, my parents always made it a point to get us to Mass, no matter where we were, no matter what we were doing. And that was before the time of, like, Internet and you know, phones, and you can just Google the nearest Catholic church. It was tough to figure that out, but we did it because of the importance of the Mass. And I tell you what, it made a huge impression on me from the time I was a young child. I knew how important it was to get to Mass. I knew how important it was to get to Mass because it was more important than anything else in the life of our family. Even if it meant being late to a game, even if it meant missing some activity or something like that, that's okay, because Mass is the most important thing. Our religion is not meant to be just another thing in our life. It's not just like we have school, we've got sports, we've got hobbies, we've got Mass, we've got work, we've got whatever else. No. Religion, our faith, the Mass, is above all of those things and meant to sprinkle down into the rest of it to help us be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be. And so again, the single most effective thing that you can do to get your family to heaven is to be at Mass every week. So let's work on that, brothers and sisters, especially um, as we approach Lent. Let us open our hearts to Jesus Christ this Lent to really receive the graces, the blessings, the mercies he has for us, uh, and the help to continue to fulfill those vocations as good husbands and wives, as good fathers and mothers to your families. Let us receive the help that Jesus Christ has for us. Let us receive him in the Eucharist frequently, whenever we can, and receive that true love that he has for us in giving himself for us. Because remember, It is Jesus Christ himself. So let us end with a prayer now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you give us in life, and especially for the gift of yourself in the Eucharist. Please help us always to be open to the ways that you want to bless us, to the ways that you want to give us your graces to help us fulfill our vocations and be the true disciples and hopefully the true saints that you call us to be. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I think Deacon Jerry has a couple of announcements.